<clears throat> so that there, that's a picture of the, the Great Pyramid, which we're actually not ready to start yet, but um, we could start. I was just going to talk briefly about the social credit score that's coming in your direction. Um, and it works just like your actual credit score. You know, you can pay your electric bill for 30 years right on time every time, and it doesn't help you on your credit score. But if you miss one, then your credit score goes down. You know, the social credit score works the same way. You'll have like a minimum sort of deal. And you can do all the good things, and it doesn't buy anything. But as soon as you jaywalk or read the Bible or, you know, say anything like you might vote for a Republican, then you lose points on your credit score. So that will mean that you can't buy or sell or leave the house or, you know, whatever. So it's coming. There are now officially more COVID cases among vaccinated people than among non-vaccinated people, and which of course, you know, <laughs> duh, can you just say duh? And my prediction has always been, this is never going to go away. So I don't know if you've been getting the emails from Eagle County that says May 27th, circle it on your calendar, it's red letter day, you know, we're rolling back to green or whatever, not going to happen. Uh, and I bet they're going to say it's because they haven't reached 60% vaccination and it's all our fault. So they will generate a bunch of abuse because the people can't take their masks off because they're so stupid to begin with. They shouldn't be wearing them because of us, because we wouldn't get the vaccination. So that's just kind of the way that they're going to work. Um, let's do uh, that one. And then we'll come back to these. Um, so just say this with me. Baruch Ata Adonai. Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Asher Kedishinu. B'mitzvotav. Gosh, I have this every time and then I can't say it. Vetsivanu. Al-Safret HaOmar. Okay. <laughs> Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with the commandments and commanded us concerning counting of the Omer. So today, and I've had this messed up the last few weeks, today is the 40th day of the counting of the Omer. It's five weeks and five days of the Omer. So next Sabbath uh, will be 47 days. And then uh, the next, next Monday, the 17th will be, well, actually... Sunday night at midnight to Tuesday night at midnight will be Shavuot. It's a no work day. I told you, you know, 50 days ago, you need to make sure you got that day off. Um, so yeah, that's where we are. I think that's one of the biggest deals that there is in scripture because that reminds you of the word, which is God. So there's nothing more important than that. Okay, so let's uh, go back to the peachers. So uh, I have been threatening to talk about the Great Pyramid for a long time. And it's an interesting, it is probably the most interesting structure on earth. And there are books and books and books and books and books. There's an entire book of nothing but the mathematics of the Great Pyramid. So I had like 500 pages. So I just had to randomly throw stuff out because it's, uh, there's just so, so much. Um, but this is sort of a picture of the pyramid. It's got, well, that doesn't even have the door in it. Uh, that bottom right here is the queen's chamber. That's the king's chamber. That's the grand gallery. 
And this is the bottomless pit, which is nice enough. Then they have these uh, air holes drilled through the entire pyramid, those four air holes. And you might wonder, why do dead people need air? Uh, they're clearly not for air for the dead people because it's not a tomb. But there, yeah, there are, there's two air holes or, you know, they're not air holes. They're bored through. And all of this is done with such accuracy. We can't even do it today, let alone back in those days. Uh, the queen's chamber, the one at the bottom has two of these quote unquote air holes. And then the king's chamber has two, but they point directly to stars. So it's, there's some, there's some meaning associated with it. So, um, And one of the ways you can tell how old the pyramid is, is because the stars slightly move. They're not in exactly the same place every night. They're very close and it takes thousands of years for them to move, you know, an appreciable amount. So in our lifetime, they appear to be in exactly the same spot. But if you take it back thousands of years, they're not in exactly the same spot. So it's, it's an interesting deal that when you, uh, and I don't mean you, I mean somebody with a supercomputer, calculates the star field back, you know, to any time in the past that you want, you will find that it's, it sort of indicates that this pyramid is 5,000 years old. Because it, four to 5,000 years ago, those air holes pointed directly at four stars. So the, the chances of that happening are pretty remote, especially the stars that they point at. So we're going to uh, take a look at that a little bit. And then, oh, okay. So uh, do you know what that is? No, I don't want to ask you that because you might say. Um, that's actually a map of the Nile Delta, a handwritten map of the Nile Delta back many moons ago. And it shows you where in relation to Egypt and the Nile Delta, the, the great pyramid of Giza stands. And it's, it's sort of uh, an interesting location, but just keep track of that. And what else do we have? That's it, there's only two? Really, okay. All then. Um, Okay, so last week we talked about what does it mean to be human, and we've been talking about genetics and angels and created beings and all that stuff. And all this sort of fits in in a, in a broad brush sort of picture. But be thinking of that. You know, what does it mean to be human? As humans, of course, we think we're the most important thing there is. And certainly in uh, Yahuwah's eyes, we are pretty important. But there's, you know... To, to be human is to be different than anything else, really anything else in the universe. There's only one group of things or people called humans. You know, there's all sorts of animals and there's angels and there's demons and there's a, a number of other things, but we're human. And that's an interesting thing. So don't lose sight of that. It's easy as a human who interacts with humans all the time to sort of lose track of how special it is because you were created exactly the way you are because God wanted you to be exactly this way. And he created you as a human. And all of this stuff that we've been talking about and will be talking about for a while, some of it 
uh, is designed to cause you to lose your humanity, or at least think you're losing your humanity. And some of it on the other side is designed to focus in on your humanity. That's the way God created you. So, and you might think the great pyramid of Giza in the middle of Egypt is not really a biblical topic. So last week we ended with this, uh, these verses in uh, Yeshenyahu or Isaiah. So I want to read these again. It's chapter 19. and I'm going to start in verse 19. And it says, in that day, there shall be an altar to Yahuwah in the land of Mitzram, which of course is Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to Yahuwah. And it shall be for a sign, it should be for a sign and for a witness unto Yahuwah Tesovath, which is uh, the Lord of hosts. And you you read the Lord of hosts, you know what that is, right? The, this word Tesovah or hosts in English just means a multitude, a large group of people. And he is Yahuwah to those people. He's God to those people to his people, the Lord of hosts. In okay, so it shall be for a sign for a witness unto Yehoah, uh, Yehuah Tesovah, in the land of Mitzrayim, for they shall cry unto El Yehuah because of the oppressors, and he shall send them a savior and a great one, and he did send us a great one, and he shall deliver them, and Yehuah shall be known to Mitzram, and Mitzram shall be known, and there's an Aleph Tav right there. Uh, Yehu shall know Yahuwah in that day and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto Yahuwah and perform it, which is kind of interesting because you don't think of um, the people in Egypt as being, as making a vow and obeying it with Yahuwah. But the reality is they, they did. And, you know, you pick that up a lot in scripture when you're, even when Abraham went there and, uh, the king was going to take his sister unto wife and all that stuff. But once he found out what was going on, he knew the deal. I mean, he knew who this guy was. He knew who his God was. He knew how important his God was, how powerful his God was. And it changed his mind. And there was a time in history that the people of Egypt uh, did follow the Lord. And I suggest there will be a time in history future when they return again. Because you remember at the end of days when all of the countries come to fight against uh, Israel, the nation Israel, there are three that don't, and Egypt is one of them. Egypt and Jordan and Saudi Arabia are standing by the sidelines going, oh, what's going on? And it was Egypt that, before it was popular, made peace with Israel, and, you know, they've always had a kind of a weird relationship there. <laughs> Arabs and their Muslims, but there's some sort of underlying thing with the Egyptians that they... Uh, and if you look at the history of Egypt, their pharaohs were Egyptian, and then they became uh, Hyksos. They became uh, from Edom. And of course, the people from Edom hate the people of God. So during the time that the pharaohs were Hyksos pharaohs or from Edom, obviously they, they didn't follow the Lord. But there have been times, and I su suggest will be times when they will. So... Uh, it says that here, and Yahuwah shall be known unto Mitzram, and Mitzram shall know, Aleph Tav, Yahuwah in that day. And they shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow unto Yahuwah and perform it. And this is future tense. And Yahuwah shall smite Mitzram, and he shall smite and heal it. 
and he shall return, or they shall return even unto Yahuwah, and he shall be entreated of them, and he shall heal them. And in that day, there shall be a highway out of Mitzram to Asher, uh, to Assyria, and from the Assyrian into Mitzram. And Mitzram into Asher, and the Mitzram shall serve with the Asherah, which is kind of weird historically, but it's a picture of the future. And in that day shall Israel be the third with Mitzram and Asherah, even a blessing in the midst of the land, whom Yahuwah uh, Tesavoth shall bless, saying, Blessed be Mitzram, my people. Now listen to this. Mitzram, my people, Asher, the work of my hands, and Yisrael, my inheritance. So none of this sounds <clears throat> normal, you know, as, at least as the world we're painted today. I mean, how can Israel be a third or be, you know, equal to or partners with Egypt and Syria? And we look at the world today and it's, you can't, you don't see that. But part of that's because the people we're looking at are not these people. You know, the Israel we're looking at is not the Israel it's that the Lord is going to bring back at the end of days. It's the, it's the Israel, the UN and the Rothschilds and all those guys made. And, you know, it, that, that, I don't believe that is the land of Israel. And that because because the Bible is very clear that Yahuwah will bring back the nation of Israel. And he didn't, I, I, I suspect he didn't do this. I mean, I can go through the paperwork and he's not on the list anywhere. You know, it was all uh, world powers and all, all that stuff. So there's going to be a time coming when Israel is returned and it will, it says it will be a third to his people of Egypt and Assyria which is interesting. And then he goes on and says, uh, Yahuwah, the, 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 the Lord of hosts, the, the king of all this multitude of people. And he says, blessed be Mitzram or Egypt, my people. Well, that's interesting. And Ashur or Syria, the work of my hands. And Israel is my inheritance. And we already know Israel is my inheritance, but the rest of this, we don't typically see it that way. But this, this little section starts in that day, which would be, you know, it's, it, if you go back to what he's talking about, he's talking about in that day previous, but the implication is also in that day post, you know, it can, it, a lot of things in scripture work both ways. So it says, in that day, there shall be an altar to Yahuwah in the midst of the land of Mitzrayim and a pillar at the border thereof to Yahuwah. So the question then is, well, how can you be both in the middle of the land and at the border? So go back to the white one. So you're about to see a picture of basically the land of Egypt. And in, in, in that day, gosh, um, the land of Egypt was actually divided in half. So you had lower Egypt, which was the fertile part where the Nile was. And if you see that line, Egypt was actually divided in half because there was, as soon as you got out of the, the, the Delta Valley, it became like you would expect Egypt to be a dry and dusty. So they had a country that was fertile and green and they had a country that was uh, dusty and brown. And it was split right along the middle of what we now called Egypt, right? pretty much where that line is. Um, and it was, it was one country, but it was split in two. So when Isaiah here is saying that there's going to be a pillar or a monument at the border and in the middle of Mitzrayim, 
or of any country, there really aren't many options for that. And this happens to be one of the very few places on earth it could be and still meet what Isaiah is saying. So if you see the Great Pyramid, it is exactly on the border between North and South Egypt. And North and South Egypt was equally divided. So being at the border also puts you in the middle. So he said, and again, we get confused sometimes with the translations, there shall be an altar to Yahuwah. And that word altar just means a place of worship, right? It doesn't necessarily describe the altar. It just means uh, what kind of activities are going there. So there should be an altar to Yahuwah in the midst of the land of Mitzrayim and a pillar at the border thereof. So again, we look at that word pillar and we think an obelisk, a tall, skinny, you know, the George Washington monument or something. That's not it at all. They're essentially the same word. And uh, I looked at, I don't know, 30 different Bible translations. And you've got, if you look at 30 different Bible translations, you get 15 different words for this. And one of them actually used the word uh, pyramid because all it is, is it's a place of worship. It can be anything. So don't get too confused with the wording. Don't be thinking of uh, perhaps a church building and, a, and an obelisk or something. That's not necessarily the case. The book of, well, Josephus' first book, uh, book one, which is uh, the Antiquities of the Jews, I think, in chapters one and three, uh, one through three, if, you know, I'm obviously not going to read three chapters, but he's, uh, he, he believes and he wrote that uh, the ancient Persian and, and Arabian traditions are that Seth, Adam, and Enoch are the people that built this monument and pillar, the, the pyramids, the great pyramids. And so he goes on to say, and they made two pillars, one of brick, the other of stone, describing the whole of the predictions of the stars upon them. And in the case of the brick pillar should be destroyed by the flood, the stone would preserve in the revelation. So, and I think any of you have, have read, I know you've read it, some of the uh, extra biblical books. And I'm thinking this is in the, the cave of Adam and Eve or something. It's, it's in one of those books, but they, the, um, certainly Adam, and I believe most of the patriarchs knew there was going to be a deal that the Lord was going to judge this place and he was going to basically wipe it out. But they weren't sure. They knew there were two. There was going to be one by flood and one by fire, but they didn't know which one was going to come first. So when you read some of these guys and their writings, they're acknowledging pretty much the undeniable fact that this judgment is coming. But for a long time, they didn't know if it was going to be fire or water. And it's just interesting that Josephus uh, recognizes that dilemma that they were in and recognizes the uh, uh, Great Pyramid as possibly being this thing that Yeshayahu is describing in the center of and at the border of Egypt. And he's saying they built two. They built the one, and, and we read it, one of stone, one of brick. And that's, to us, that's the same, but it's not. They built one that could withstand the fire and one that could withstand the flood. 
So depending on what came, one of them would survive. And what does it say? Uh, describing the whole predictions of the stars upon them. And uh, again, we live in a culture and a society that doesn't, we don't give any credence to the stars and the moons and the planets and all that's going on up there. Um, but the whole story is written in the stars, you know, and we, we know that intellectually and we understand that, oh, there's books written and you can, you, you can say, oh, I've got the, you know, the 12 uh, astrology constellations and you can, you know, we always know the line of the tribe of Judah and, and all that stuff. So we, we, we recognize that there was a, there was something in the stars that related the account that the Lord wanted us to know. And actually there's 48 constellations and it's, again, there's entire books written on this and I don't have the time to go through it all. But if you're interested, there are some great books. Um, and one of these guys, um, Bollinger, I think is his name. I think it's the gospel in the stars or something. Um, he has divided up these 48 constellations into three, what he calls star books or four star books. So he's got a star book for every quarter and it identifies all the constellations. There's the main one, you know, the one of the 12 that we recognize. And then within that, there's three others that follow each, you know, the, the main one. And so these 48 constellations in his four star books, uh, he puts them together and it's, it's incredible. It's the, it's the exact story of scripture from beginning to end. It covers the whole thing. So, uh, and I, I may do this, well, not next week because it's Shavuot sometime. Um, Starbook three is the one that we're interested in because if you remember where all the air shafts are looking to the stars, the stars that they are looking at and the constellations that they're looking at are the constellations in his, what he calls his Starbook three. And w when they were looking uh, north, I think, uh, we'll get to this. Um, they're looking at two of the stars in the constellation Orion. And when they were looking to the south, they were looking at two stars in the constellation of Draco, which is the dragon. Uh, okay, so over here is that constellation is Draco. And the constellation over there is Orion. And if you recall or remember or even caught any of the stuff we talked about with Nimrod, Nimrod is often called Orion. He's got 70 names because of course they scattered all the, the countries and uh, confused the languages. And a lot of people think Orion because it's a guy, right? It's a guy with a bow and arrow and he's got a foot on a, on the head of a lamb, I think. And a lot of people think that that's uh, Satan or the enemy. And then the other side's looking at Draco, the dragon, which is obviously the enemy. Um, but I don't think that's true. And we'll get into this maybe a little bit. Um, but if you're looking at, you see the lower chamber is the queen's chamber. Well, if that could be us, right? That could be the bride of the king. And the upper one is the king's chamber. So each one has one air shaft, or it's not really an air shaft. It's more like a telescope. To the, uh, each has one to the north and one to the south. 
So there are two facing north and two facing south. And you see the way that they cross on the south. I mean, it's, it's completely specific. They did this on purpose to point to a exact tiny spot of the universe. And what they have is this uh, star Theban and then Ursa Minor and Sirius and Orion. And those things tell a story. And one of the interesting parts of the story is this, this one up here, the Theban, the one on the right, uh, the lower one in the constellation Draco, uh, that the queen's chamber is look, now that's, the, that's from the, the king's chamber. Um, that's the North Star. But over 5,000 years or 4,000 years, it's not the North Star anymore. <laughs> so, but it's interesting that now the star that's there is the North Star, is, is the North Star. It's, this one has moved, Draco has moved just slightly. So there's a new star right there. Well, that one is, when we look up at the North Star, that's, if you were in this pyramid looking up that shaft at, you know, at the right time of night, you'd be looking at the North Star. But it's not the North Star when they built it, but, but it's switched. And I think it's, it's important just because in the beginning, and it was built before the flood, if the star thing is correct, it was looking at the North Star and it has to wait until it gets lined up again with the new North Star. And maybe that's the beginning and the end. Well, now it's lined up with the new North Star. So you could make a case that if that's a time clock and it's, it's the end. So I, I don't know. Anyway, it's just there are 10 million things about this structure that are uh, <laughs> just beyond words. And if you're halfway interested in it, there are hundreds of books that take every day. I mean, an entire book just on the mathematics of the things that, you know, what pi and the golden triangle and squaring the circle. And I mean, all of these things happen in the pyramid. And then there's books about all the stars and the skies and, you know, his Bollinger's book about gospel and the stars. His whole book is about just what's lining up and what all these things mean and what this possibly might say and the materials and geometry. I mean, it's unbelievable. So if you're uh, interested in any of that, I'm going to just talk about a couple of those. Um, the center of the geographical landmass of the planet. Well, how would you figure that? So what they do is they take the longitude and the latitude lines that have the most ground and the least water right? That's how they figure this actual geographical center of the world. Well, and you lay that out on a flat map, like a flat earth map or the United Nations map, which is the flat earth map. Um, that place of the latitude lines and the longitude lines that have the most dirt and the least water are right there at Giza. They come together at Giza. That is the geographical center of the earth. Um, it's, it says it's located at the precise center of all land area of the world, equally dividing the earth. 31 degrees, nine minutes meridian east of Greenwich is the longest land meridian or longitude. And the 29 degrees, 58 minutes and 51 seconds north latitude is the longest latitude of ground on earth. Well, that's right there. That's it. You know, that's a Giza. Who would know? Okay. Um, the pyramid 
is uh, oriented directly due north. And it's, it's off of directly due north by less than uh, three minutes of a degree. And I, I would imagine that when they built it, it was, it was perfectly correct. Um, that structure has eight sides. Well, nine if you count the bottom. Because each of the sides has a slight convex. Each side has two planes on it. But it's very slight. And you can't tell that it does that unless you're above it on the spring and fall equinox at a particular time of day. And then the sun is just in, in such a way that it casts a shadow on one of the sides and you can see that. Only happens twice a year, coincidentally enough, on the equinoxes. So if you take that, uh, that concave shape, it's the exact diameter of uh, the circumference of the Earth. And it doesn't matter if it's a globe Earth or a flat Earth, it's the same. And it would fit right in, in the pyramid. So the eight sides speak of, you know, a new beginning. It's the only pyramid that's ever been discovered that has an ascending and a descending staircase. It has a queen's chamber, a king's chamber, a grand gallery, and a bottomless pit. There's no other um, pyramid ever looked at that has a bottomless pit. And I don't know that it's actually bottomless, but I do know you don't want to go in there. Um, but it's a picture. You can carry, you can, you can go up, you go up the stairs to get to the door. You're at the door. You can go down the stairs and get to the bottomless pit. And then there's a shaft that comes up. I mean, it's very complicated. Or you can go up to the grand gallery, down to the queen's chamber, up to the king's chamber. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, no other pyramid has that. In the king's chamber, there is a coffer, a big, it's a 70 ton slab of granite. And it has a, a, a coffer, a, a, a square, a rectangular shape drilled out of it. So they've analyzed it and they say that it was made with diamond bits that had two tons of pressure to cut this square hole in this 70 ton piece of granite. And this piece of granite is so big that it had to be put installed as they were building it. They couldn't have carried it. It's a piece of furniture really, but it's too big to fit through any of the passages and in through certainly through any of the doors. So it had to be built and oriented and that orienting goes back to, it had to be just right because you had to look through these holes to see these exact stars. But how did you cut a 70 ton piece of granite with this big shape in it? And then what was the big shape for? And they know it wasn't a tomb because it didn't have a lid. <laughs> you know, there's no tomb that's ever been that didn't have a lid and there's no lid for this coffer. So what's the purpose of the coffer? Uh, to get into that passageway, there is a 20-ton slab of granite that is hinged as a door. It's, it's, it pivots. And if you're inside the king's chamber, all you have to do is push on it and it opens. But it fits so tightly when it shuts, nobody can open it from the outside. 
there's no hand you can't even see it because it just fits um, fits perfectly the star shafts as i mentioned would indicate that this thing was built around 2450 bc um, which is interesting because that's before the flood but that goes back to what josephus and some of these other extra biblical books were saying that they already knew that something was going to happen. They didn't know if it was fire or water, but they knew something was going to happen. So if you remember what uh, Josephus said, that this is talking about the predictions of the stars. And all of that comes into place. Um, the king's chamber, the star that points up out of the king's chamber to the left top of the screen, that star is Alzidic. And it's in the constellation, uh, constellation of Orion, who's the great hunter or the true light. And in the queen's chamber, it points to the star, or pointed, uh, points to that one, the one below it. Um, yeah. Did you do that? Okay. Did you do that? The two? Really? Okay. Um, okay. And Sirius is... When you go outside at any night and look up and you see the brightest star in the sky, that's Sirius. Well, that's exactly where it points. So you've got Orion and Sirius, and then over here, um, you know, the North Star and Ursa Minor. So uh, let's see. We did that. So it's interesting if if you if you look at and. You can get 16 books going either way on this. So I, I kind of think where I fall on it, but you've got these two, one of the queen, one of the king that point to um, oh, constellation Orion. Orion is the hunter, right? It's the guy with the bow and arrow and he's got his foot up on the lamb and all that stuff. And a lot of people see Orion as being a picture of Satan, picture of Nimrod, because that's one of his names is... Orion, Orion, all those different things. But when you look at exactly what's going on here, this is the great light. And Orion is called the, the hunter of, or the great hunter of light or something like that. Um, I don't think that's pointing. It depends on who you think built this and why. But I don't think that's pointing to Orion Nimrod, I think it's pointing to Orion God. The, he is the great light. He is the great hunter. And he has his foot upon the head of uh, a lion, actually. And I don't know. So you can go either way on this. You can believe that uh, Satan's minions built this, or you can believe that God's people built this. And you have to look at all the you know, I, I'm sort of in the camp of, um, and you'll get to this, God's people, because you've got the dragon over here and the great hunter over there. And the great hunter is hunting the dragon. And we know that. And that's the great light. Um, anyway, we'll do more of that. There are, uh, there's a historian that wrote in 60 BC. And at the time of this guy writing about the pyramids, the golden capstone was already gone. But all the polished limestone was still there. So by 60 BC, uh, anyway, the pyramid is 
covered with, or was, there's still a few left, with these 15 ton polished limestone slabs that made it flat. And what we see now is all the steps underneath the, the, sub, uh, the sub holding the, the limestone up. But when this was built, it was covered completely with polished limestone with a gold cap at the top. And it was allegedly polished so brightly that uh, they claim that when the sun shines on it, you could see it from the moon. So just think about this. It looks like a star on earth. If you were living where God lives and looking down, it seems like it, it could easily be seen. It looks like a star on the earth and it's concaved and has the gold capstone. So the interesting thing is all of those polished limestone rocks that would form the facade, which most of which is gone now, uh, there are 144,000 of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, you're familiar with that number. Um, they've calculated to the greatest extent they can that there are 2.3 million stones, each weighing between 10 and 40 tons, to build the pyramid. Well, there were approximately 2.3 million people that left Egypt. So you've got the 144,000 and the 2.3 million. Um, in, in Egyptian, it's called Aket, which means the glorious light because you could see this thing from almost anywhere when the sun was on it. Certainly anywhere above the earth, you would see it. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, <laughs> maybe not that one, but it does look like that. Um, so the entire structure, which weighs, they figure 40 billion pounds has settled less than a half an inch in four or 5,000 years even through the flood, this hmm? 40, oh, it's, it's weighs 40 billion pounds and it's settled less than a half an inch. I mean, I wish I could say that about my house or even about your house. Um, the stones are fitted together with such precision. There's less than one 2000th of an inch between the stones. You can't even get a razor blade. It's a basically a square shape right? It's a pyramid at the bottom. Uh, it's out of alignment by less than a quarter of an inch. Now you can't, I mean, you can't do that today. There's no possible way. And it's 750 feet long along each edge. So you've got 750 feet times four and it's out of alignment less than a quarter of an inch. There are, when you get into the math book, there are so many things in this book. And, you know, I am probably getting most of these wrong. But uh, one of them that caught my eye was the star Orion, which is one of those that it's pointing at. Uh, you know, every star comes up and goes down depending on where your latitude and longitude is at, at a different time. And it's only seen in the sky for whatever amount of time it is because of wherever you live. If you're looking right through that hole at that star, it takes uh, 365.24 increments of time, whatever it is, to return. Well, of course, that's exactly how long a year is. And there are countless things in this, this pyramid that when you do the math, it comes out to be uh, 
365.245796, you know, whatever. So they're obviously telling you it's, it's a day. There's all kinds of things. If you take um, the length of the pyramid or the length and the width divided by the height, it's exactly pi. I mean, like to 16 decimals out. Um, there's this thing called the squaring of the circle. Nobody's ever been able to square the circle, which all that means is a circle has X number of acres or, you know, there's a, an amount in your circle. How can you figure that same amount as a square using only a compass and a, and a ruler? Well, it can't be done. It's been this mystery. Hundreds of thousands of dollars have been bet on. It can't be done. So finally, in 1822, they admitted it can't be done. You cannot square the circle. But the pyramid squares the circle. There's the same amount of space underneath the square as there would be going around. Um, there is mortar between all of the blocks and they've analyzed the mortar and they know what it is, but they have no way to make it. They cannot make the chemicals stick together and act as a mortar. So there's something, uh, it's something we can't do today. Uh, the dimensions represent the golden triangle. So if you're a designer or an artist, you're familiar with that, uh, that ratio and that's that's the ratio of the Great Pyramid. Um, the Great Pyramid is aligned to the belt of Orion, which is the constellation. And uh, Orion comes from the Hebrew word or, which means light. So again, it's light giver. It's the light bringer. And the pyramid lines up directly with that. Uh, I mentioned True North's only off three minutes of a degree, and I'm betting it was perfect when they built it. Uh, the interior of the pyramid stays at 70 degrees all the time, which is the mean temperature of the Earth. Uh, I mentioned it's the only one that has a bottomless pit. Uh, so there's this coffer. Right. What's the purpose of the coffer? Because everybody thought the pyramids were, were, were tombs for the pharaohs. And every pyramid that is a tomb or everything that is a tomb for a pharaoh or anybody else is covered with reliefs and carvings. You know, every time the guy changed his clothes or went to the bathroom, it was a glorious thing and they had to record it. And that's the way those things are. There is nothing on that pyramid. There's no, there are no carvings, no reliefs, no designs, no artwork. There's nothing, which is weird if it was a tomb. And if it was a tomb, it would have a lid. And if it was a tomb, it wouldn't need air holes. Certainly wouldn't need to look at the stars. And what's the deal with the, the bottomless pit? So Ken Ham has a thing where he describes, and we talked about this somewhat, um, it gives the exact dimensions in scripture of the Ark of the Covenant. So the outside dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant happen to be uh, just microscopically smaller than the inside dimensions of the coffer. So it's possible that it was there to protect the Ark of the Covenant. The 20-ton door is, I mentioned, well-balanced uh, air channels, 750 feet long on each side, situated on the exact four cardinal points of the compass. Um, 
height to united inches is exactly pi. It was the tallest building in the world for 4, 000, more than 4,000 years. Think about that. This was built with no hydraulics, no cranes, no machinery, presumably. I mean, you know, maybe. Um, okay, so I want to read you something again. We just read this, but I want to read this. And you, you realize in Hebrew, remember, every letter has a numerical equivalent. So this is, we just read this earlier, Isaiah 19, 19 and 20. In that day, there shall be an altar to Yahuwah in the midst of the land of Mitzring, and in a pillar at the border thereof. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness unto Yahuwah Tesovah in the land of Mitzrim, for they shall cry out to Yahuwah because of the oppressors and oppressors, and he shall send them a savior and a great one, and he shall deliver them. The numerical equivalent of that verse is 5,449, which coincidentally are the exact number of pyramid inches in height. Bless you. This is exactly how tall this thing they're talking about is. And it's the exact dimension when you walk in the door of the pyramid, there's 5,449, they call them pyramid inches, to get to the exact end of how far you can walk in the pyramid. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Um, we've talked before about how the enemy of God tries to duplicate everything he does, right? There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and there's the beast and the false prophet and the Antichrist, and everything that the Lord tries to do, uh, the enemy tries to duplicate. So um, when we think about who he's pointing to, this, this constellation of Orion, and you think about who Orion is, and he's this mighty hunter, right? And he's got his foot on, uh, I guess he's got his foot on a lion. Um, you read in scripture, who's the true mighty hunter? You know, there's a guy that has come after each of us and hunted us in a sense. And he's, he's the, uh, I don't know why I'm having so much problems with the thing today. <laughs> um, he's the guy that He's the mighty light. He's the brightest light in the sky. He's, he's that guy. So you can think of this constellation Orion as uh, Nimrod, or you can think of him as Yahuwah. And when you, if you read uh, Bollinger's book, or if you read uh, Weiss has another one, I think they have, the uh, Matzeroth in the sky or something, you, you get, you know, because we always think, oh, the lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And you read the Matzeroth that way. But that's not really correct. This whole constellation of Orion, he's the guy. He's, he's our savior. He's the God. He's the one who's, who's and there's verses about he's going to take the lion, the, you know, the enemy roams, roams around like a roaring lion. And there's all these different things. So if he's that guy, then Orion is our guy. He's going after the dragon, Draco the dragon, who, who are the other ones it looks at. Um, and again, you can, there are books and books and books and books explaining all of these constellations. And I particularly like the Bollinger one 
because of the 48 constellations and the three star books. And this is star book number three. And he's, you know, he makes the whole case. And I should have, I should have brought that, but I'll, maybe I'll get that to you later. Um, so we all know about the new Jerusalem, right? And it's 1500 miles by 1500 miles by 1500 miles. And we all visualize that as a square, but it doesn't have to be a square. It could be a pyramid right? Because it could still be 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, and then it's a 45-degree pyramid. So again, it all goes back to why is it even here? Who did this and why did they build it? And I would suggest that you at least consider the possibility that this, this pyramid, is, it's exactly what Josephus said it was. It's a, it's a, it's a map to the stars. It's telling you about all the things the stars are telling you, but it's giving you the story if you're willing to listen to it. And if that's the case, if this is, I mean, who built this thing and why did they build it? You know, Moshe was given the directions on how to build the, the tabernacle, right? And he went somewhere and he saw it. He saw the real one and he came down and he built a representation of what he saw. Well, what if this is the same thing? What if this is a representation of what they saw in heaven? What if this is a representation of the New Jerusalem? What if it's not a, a cube, it's a triangle? And this thing is, is, is telling us everything we need to know about it. And, you know, this is obviously speculation. Um, and you need to do your own research on this. But it's just... You, and this all goes, in my mind, this all goes back to what does it mean to be human? Because humans did not build that. There's no possible way we could build that. We couldn't build it today with all the machinery we have. How could you build that 5,000 years ago? Couldn't happen. So that's why most scholars, I mean, the only thing they can fall back on is aliens. Somebody came from another planet and built this because there's no possible way we could build it. Well, I don't buy that either. So who, who built this? Okay, let me read a couple of verses. Because again, if, if, um, if you start seriously thinking about this and trying to understand it and want to look more into it, because this, this could consume you like nothing you've ever done. Um, when you read scripture, it reads differently. And we've discovered that a thousand times over in a thousand different things. But let me just read this, Yesh and Yahoo, uh, chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. It says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of Yahuwah is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and the gross darkness of the people. But Yahuwah shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. The Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of his rising. What if that's, I mean, what if there's actually a physical representation of that? What if it's this 455 foot tall, 750 foot square polished limestone pyramid with a gold top that looks like a star has fallen to the earth? Uh, Yesh and Yahoo chapter 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven? And your Bible probably says, how art thou fallen from heaven, Lucifer? But the word is hal halal, ha halal, 
And it's the Hebrew for morning star. And for no apparent reason, it's translated as Lucifer. So how art thou fallen from the sky or from the heaven, Hillel, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? And we've talked before about stars and angels being the same thing. Strong says this word Hallel is to be clear of sound, usually of color, to shine, hence to make a show, to boast, thus to be clamorously foolish. And the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible has two and a half pages devoted to the definitions of this word, but the root of this word is for shine, star, or distant. Um, it's, it makes, it's the root for the words for folly, towards a sight, madness as shining in a negative sense, to pitch a tent here as in the arrival of a distant place to be far off. Um, so how did the translators get Lucifer? Why do we have to personalize this? and make it into somebody, somebody. I mean, it's capital L. In our Bible, it's a person. And it's not a person as much as an enemy. It's foolish. It's, it's, uh, so, okay, we won't beat that horse anymore. Because you know, they, they, when they translate the Bible, they translate it in what they think it should say. But that's not what it says. There is no person like that this is this is an idea this is a uh, a thing but 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 it it colors the way we look at scripture when we personalize satan and the devil and you know and, and all of that stuff lucifer there's no loose it doesn't exist um so if the pyramids look like a star on earth if you were in heaven again what's the purpose so i want to read a couple things from uh a book called the Testament of Solomon, starting in chapter 20, verse 17. And I ask him, tell me then, how are you being demons able to ascend into heaven? And he replied, whatever things are accomplished in heaven are accomplished in the same way also on earth. For the principalities and authorities and powers fly a, a, around and are considered worthy of entering heaven. But we who are demons are exhausted from not having a way station from which to ascend or on which to rest. So we fall down like leaves from trees, and the men who are watching think that stars are falling from the heaven. That's not true, king. Rather, we fall because of our weakness, and since there is nothing which on which to hold, we are dropping like flashes of lightning to earth. We burn cities down and set fields on fire, but the stars of heaven have their foundations laid in the firmament. And another book called The Apocalypse of Elijah in chapter four, starting in verse eight, are you indeed not ashamed when you attach yourself to the saints because you're always estranged? You have been hostile to those who belong to heaven. You have acted against those who belong to earth. You have been hostile to the thrones. You have acted against the angels. You are a stranger. You have fallen from heaven like the morning stars. You were changed. Your tribe came became dark for you. But you are not ashamed when you stand firmly against Elohim. You are a devil. So this idea of angels and stars falling from heaven is not just in the Bible. There's all sorts of other um, books and, and, and whatnot that recognize that to be true, right? All of these things that, you know, we might, I don't know, maybe we call them comets or meteors. I don't know. Perhaps... These are 
fallen angels. I don't know. Let's look again at the uh, Migdal of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel in, in, in Bereshit chapter 11. It said, uh, and they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower, a Migdal, whose top may reach into heaven and let us make a name that we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. This says, uh, whose top may reach unto heaven. But in your in your Bible, that is in italics because it doesn't exist. They put that in there. It it never it didn't give any idea or understanding of height. There was nothing about reaching unto heaven. What it says is uh, well. Let me read you what it says. It says bana, which is the word for sun. It's also the word for builder or rebuilder. Uh, Migdal, you recognize that as tower. Rosh, you recognize that as head. Shemaiah. That's heavens. You probably know all four of those words. That's all it says. Build, tower, head, heavens. The, the top of the tower is the picture of the heavens. That's how all temples were built, or most temples were built, forever. You'd get inside these buildings, and the roof of the building was the heavens. It was the stars and the constellations, and, and it was telling the story. Um, there is an archaeological dig where they believe this Tower of Babel was, and it finds a four-acre base. And the base structure is 153 feet high. It's seven layers, but each layer of stone is a different color because each color corresponds to a planet. And then the walls were built on that, which are, of course, now gone. And the ceiling was over that, which is now laying in the, in the field. And in that ceiling, they've discovered what you would expect, the heavens. It's all of the stars. It's everything that, um, that in those days, everybody looked to the stars. Everything that they knew came from the stars. Their gods, our gods, were all communicating to us with the stars. Um, okay, let me read this from Hebrews that you're familiar with. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 8, By faith, Avram, when he was called to go out unto a place which he should receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Yitzhak and Yaakov, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations and whose builder and maker is Elohim. People... It, it's said that in these old libraries of antiquity in Babylon and, and Alexandria and all of the famous libraries that had all of the scrolls and tablets and all that stuff, it is said that 70% of the books in those libraries were concerned with the heavens, the, the constellations, the stars, the movement that happened. 70% of the books written were about that. That was a, that was a big deal. Isaiah makes record of that in chapter 47, verse 13. He says, Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the, the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from all these things that shall come upon thee. That's, they were being wearied. There were so many books about it. There were so many people looking at the stars. You know, I have suggested before Babel was a stargate. It wasn't a tower necessarily. I mean, it, 
it, it was an access point, but not by height, because how are you going to build a tower unto heaven? That's a poor English translation, as it turns out. It doesn't say that. It's, it's more like an access point, a stargate, a way to get there. And perhaps that's what some of these things like the pyramids were. You know, the Tower of Babel might have been that. The pyramids might... There are people who speculate that the pyramids, uh, when they were built, generated massive amounts of electricity. I don't know. Um, there are things... I guess what I'm trying to get at is there are things that are going on and that have gone on that we have no concept of. We have no way to understand it. And the, there's nothing... If, if you think to yourself, I can't understand, that can't be true, there's, you know, whatever, just look to the pyramid. There's no way that that could have been built by us. We did not build that. That was built by, not by humans, by something. And I don't believe it was built by aliens. So what are your choices? Well... There were 200 watchers, right, that came down to earth. There are fallen angels that come down. You're reading Revelation, a third of the angels were brought down. Okay, how big is an angel? <laughs> I don't know, but I know some of these giants, those were big guys. And, you know, you look at a guy that's that, that's only 16 feet up to the top of that. Only 16 feet. Think of a guy that big. And they say those guys were not just 16 feet tall, but they were much wider. Think of a guy that big. How strong could that guy be? Think of a guy twice that tall. What if you had a whole army of guys twice that tall? What's the big deal with a 20-ton rock? What's the big deal with a drill press that has to have two tons of pressure? There isn't. They could do that. And we will get to this. And I don't know when we'll get to it. Where'd they get the knowledge? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Because we are running out of time here. We're going to skip over a section. And we'll get to this later. Uh, let's move to Enoch, Hanak, uh, starting chapter 81, verses 1 and 2. From the book of Enoch. And he said to me, O Enoch, look at the book of the tablets of heaven and read what is written upon them and note every individual fact. And I looked at everything in the tablets of heaven and I read everything which was written and I noted everything. And I read the book and everything was written in it and the deeds of men and all who would be born of flesh on the earth for all generations of eternity. Let's move down to Enoch chapter 82, starting in verse 1. And now, my son Methuselah, all these things I recount to you and I write down for you, and I have revealed everything to you, and I have given you books about all these things, and keep my son Methuselah, the books from your hand of your father, so that you may pass them on to the generations of eternity. I have given wisdom to you and to your children and to those who will be your children, so that they may give it to their children for all generations forever. This is the wisdom that is beyond their thoughts. And those who understand it will not sleep, but will incline their ears so that they may learn this wisdom. And it will be better for those, uh, it will be better for those who eat from it than good food. Down to chapter 93. 
And after that, Hanak both gave and begat to recount the books. And Hanak said, concerning the children of righteousness and concerning the elect of the world and concerning the plant of uprightness, I will speak these things. Yea, I, Hanak, will declare them unto you, my sons, according to that which has appeared to me in the heavenly vision in which I have known throughout the word of the holy angels. And I have learnt from heavenly tablets. And Hanak began to recount from the books and said, I was born the seventh in the first week while the judgment and righteousness occur. Now let's go down to chapter 103. And now I swear unto you the righteous by his great glory and his honor and his magnificent sovereignty and his majesty, I swear to you that I understand this mystery and have read the tablets of heaven and have seen the writings of the holy ones and have found and uh, written and engraved it concerning them that is all good and joy and honor and have been made ready and written down for the spirits of those who died in righteousness. And much good will be given to you in recompense for your toil that, you, that your lot will be more excellent than the lot of the living. Okay, so apparently, and if you've read the book of Enoch, you know this to be true, that Enoch, it, our, in Genesis, it says Enoch was and he was not, for God took him. He was, he was raptured. He was taken up to heaven and he learned the heavenly things. So the angels in heaven have all of God's knowledge. They know everything that there is to know. They live in heaven. They see, they know. So, and we read these last week. Remember when the angels came down, they shared um, metallurgy and painting of the eyes and uh, husbandry with animals and with trees, they shared all that knowledge with people and, and they got in trouble for it because we were not supposed to know that stuff. That's knowledge that's in heaven. That's knowledge for them. And those are the things that they know. Well, when they brought it down here, um, we can't handle that knowledge. Like Jack Nicholson said, you can't handle the truth. Um, and that's what it is. So if, if Enoch, just like, I mean, I just read you four chapters that he went to heaven and he saw these books and he learned these books and he knew these books and he wrote these books down and he brought them to his son, Methuselah, to have all the knowledge of everything that was in heaven. So they would know how to do this. And the demons would know how to do this. And the demons came down and used it for bad and taught man war and all of these things that we didn't ever need to know. But they were giants, huge guys. And as we read through scripture, and we will get to this, there are a couple of instances where it's who built the top temple of Solomon? It's the same thing. You have these 60 and 100 ton blocks of stone that are cut so precisely they fit together uh, the same thing. You can get a razor blade. Who did that? Well, they tell you who did it. And who did it were these tribes of giants. And they were conscripted to do it or they were paid to do it. And the, the guy who built the temple of Solomon, just previous to his, his work on the temple, he built uh, the altar to Zeus. He was like a construction company full of giants because they could do these things. They had the knowledge of heaven. They knew how to do it. 
They knew how to build these things. They knew the architecture and the uh, whatever was required to cut stones like that and use your diamond bit to drill out a big hole in the thing. They knew all that. They had all, they could make the metal, they could make the diamonds, they could make the glue, they could make all of that stuff that we didn't know how to do. And so the children of the house of Israel were repeatedly defeating these guys because God said, take their country. Do you know, it's not that a little six foot guy could go up against a 48 foot tall giant, but he could if the Lord was leading it. Right. So he winds up taking over the Amorites and the Moabites. And, you, you know, and all these people are giants. Read in the scripture. They're all giants. And yet the children of the house of Israel beat them every time because God was with them. So they conscripted them to build the temple of Solomon, to build these things, to build the house for Solomon. It took him, what, four years to build the temple and seven years to build his own house. So how great a house was that? So think about this. If these watchers came down before the flood, and this was the purpose of the flood, if these watchers came down with all of this knowledge that Enoch saw up in heaven and knew this stuff, knew how to do this stuff, and we know they were giants, I mean, they were huge. And there are uh, skeletons today that have been unearthed and some say they're fake. I don't know, but there are skeletons today of people that are 18, 20, 24 feet tall. And they're the small ones. They're the runts of the litter. So think about this. If the watchers came down and they had this knowledge, they had the ability because they were big enough, but they didn't have God. So they were conscripted into doing the work of the people of God. Enoch goes up, gets all this knowledge, brings it down to Methuselah so that his children can do what? Can build this thing that Isaiah was talking about, this, this testimony to the stars that he can, he can build something that will survive the flood and it will tell all the secrets that we need to know. It'll prove exactly who you who is. It's a star on earth that can be seen from heaven. To me, this makes perfect sense. Enoch and his people, his family, with this knowledge, used, conscripted the watcher's children, who they say were 40, 50, 60 feet tall, to build this thing that pointed right to Orion and right to the dragon and the North Star and the brightest star. And it had a king's chamber and a queen's chamber as a place to store all the these books. They say he wrote 365 books of all the knowledge in heaven that would probably fit right in that little coffer. To that's what he said. He wants it for future generations. It would survive the flood because he knew it was going to be fire or flood. Wasn't sure which. I don't know. It's, it's all speculation. But to me, it just, uh, I mean, it's not all speculation. We know that the giants built the temple of Solomon and the altar to Zeus. And uh, there were giants before the flood. And this was not a happy thing. And Enoch had the knowledge. I mean, to me, it just makes sense. The, the, this, this altar, this pyramid on the border and in the middle of Egypt, this wasn't built by Satan as a monument to him. I don't think. I think it was built by God, by his people as a monument to him. 
that for future generations, you'd be able to study that thing and look and see, oh my gosh, look what he did. Look how he put the stars up. Look at the story he tells. And again, you go through these books like Bollinger's book and all that stuff. You see 48 constellations that tell the exact story you see in the book. It's the, you didn't need a Bible because it was all right there. And we've lost that. We no longer look at this. We can't even see the sky in most places. You know, between pollution and light pollution, you realize three quarters to seven eighths of the population of this country doesn't even see the stars because they live in a place that has too much light. They wouldn't know if God was up there or not. But he put it all up there for us to know. And we've forgotten it. Like we've done so much, forgotten so many other things that he's done. And I think it's an opportunity for us to, to again, just to draw closer to him and to see. I mean, it's just stunning the things that he does. And this, you think of, oh, a bunch of, you know, what do you see? A picture of a bunch of slaves with logs, rolling rocks and ropes. Oh, come on. That's just utterly, how do you get a 70 ton piece of granite up 250 feet and carve a hole in it with a diamond bit? I mean, that's just crazy. You can't do that with a bunch of slave labor. You need, you need something else. And the things that you need are somebody who's bigger and more powerful and you need knowledge. Can you imagine drilling a hole through that pyramid and getting it right on the star at the right day and then having the knowledge to know in 5,000 years when the end is coming, the different star will be right there again. I mean, that's just crazy. How can you look at this stuff? Who even knew what the circumference of the earth was? Well, the guy who built the pyramids did. Who knew about pi? Well, the guy who built the pyramids did. Who knew how to square the circle? The guy who built the pyramids did. I mean, it's just nuts when you start looking at all this stuff. It's just, uh, anyway. Yeah, that's one thought. Well, there would be no real point in generating electricity if you couldn't use it. But the, th the thing is, you read through scripture and you read about um, the, the earth vibrating and the song of the earth and all of that. And uh, any, you know, any earth scientist will tell you that that's true. There is a frequency that the earth runs on and we no longer hear it. But there are people who think thousands of years ago or in the beginning, the earth sang that you could hear it. And that's when you read scripture, you run into all kinds of verses like that, that talk about the earth, you know, vibrating and singing and, you know, and doing all these things. Well, if you have all these stargates or whatever you want to call them, you have these, these ways to produce vibrations or electricity or harmony or frequencies or whatever, it's entirely possible that the earth used to sing. And, um, Okay, so we're a little late. Big surprise, I know. Um, <laughs> okay, so we we think the Earth is at a twenty-three degree tilt, which I, I you know I don't buy really much of that. But there are craters on Earth. There's no question there are giant craters on Earth that we have been struck by meteors or perhaps giant angels falling to the turf. I don't know. Um, 
And I read a couple of weeks ago, a verse that just before the flood, seven days before the flood, the earth shook and trembled and rocked and rolled. And they knew something big was coming. And you look at these craters, the biggest crater on earth, supposedly, at least from back in those days, is this Chicxulub crater in the Yucatan. And people say that was the ELE event, you know, the uh, end of life event or whatever it was when this thing hit and it kicked up all the smoke and it killed all the, you know, okay. I don't know that I buy any of that, but think about uh, what if that wasn't the biggest one? <laughs> There's a bigger one and it's, uh, it's actually, it's Greenland. <laughs> if you think about a giant meteor coming down or comet or angel, you know, who knows? Maybe they're 10,000 feet tall. I don't know. If you look at Greenland, it looks like an island. <laughs> but it's not, it's a big ice cube, right? It's in a big hole. And when you look at this, it's like a teardrop and it looks like, it looks almost like some giant meteor crashed into earth right there at about a 30 degree angle and made this hole then it filled up with water and it froze. So nowadays they have the ability to figure that out. So they have drilled down and then they drop dynamite down the holes and they measure the time it takes for the waves. To, okay. So they've established that there is a 6,000 foot deep hole underneath what we call the surface of Greenland because it's all ice. It's just full of water and it's iced over. So how did you get this 6,000 foot hole? I would suggest the same way you got the one in Yucatan, you got Crater Lake, you got all this stuff during or just previous. To, how did the flood happen? How did it start? You know, the heavens, the windows of heavens opened and the, and the uh, seas opened up. The, I can't remember what it calls it. The ground opened and water came and the windows of heaven opened and water came and there were earthquakes. What? Oh, I don't know earthquakes and lightnings and thunders and, you know, tornadoes and hurricanes and all this stuff. And you look at all the stuff that's happened around the world at the same time. You, they unearth mammoths to this day in Siberia and Alaska and stuff. They were quick frozen. They're, they're so well preserved. They still have food in their mouths and in their stomachs. And when the, the ice uh, melts away, the sled dogs can eat these things. I mean, the meat is that well preserved. So how do you deep, these are bigger than elephants. Yes. Yeah, exactly. How is that possible? How, how, how big a refrigerator would it take to freeze? Well, if you're starving to death, it, if it's either we're eating Kent or we're eating the mammoth, you know, <laughs> Okay, but I mean, just, you know, th think it through. The fact that these things exist isn't really in debate. I mean, they're there. People have, you know. So how do you freeze an elephant so fast that the flowers are still frozen in its mouth? How does that happen? It was a mighty cold day. You know, I would suggest the only way that happens is if you're exposed to the coldness of space immediately. And how does that happen? Well, what if he sent a... a Meteor, what if it was an angel that came crashing through our environment, smashed into the earth, the whole thing rocked and rolled for seven days. You got the floods, the, you know, all this stuff, the cold that immediately exposes an area around Greenland to the, to the coldness of space and deep freezes these things. You've got rain coming, 
snow ice that never happened before. I mean, you can make a case for it. It's an incredible case, but it's all related to this. It's all related to the angels who left their first estate and came down here and brought the knowledge of heaven down here that we weren't supposed to have. So the Lord took Enoch up there to give him the knowledge so that he could, because Enoch was a good guy, right? He wasn't, he wasn't the seed of Cain. He was the seed of Adam. And he, he brought all this knowledge down to give to Methuselah, his son, to give to uh, the Seth, to the rest of the guys, so that they would know what to do. So what are you going to do? There's a flood coming that's going to destroy the whole earth. How are you going to tell people on the other side of the flood about that? Oh, well, we're going to send Noah. Well, I have another idea. How about we build a structure that will be obviously from the hand of God, that will contain all the wisdom of heaven, that's how they'll know. And that's what he said in, in verses I just read, that this is knowledge for all people for all time in the future. It's not for us now. It's not so we can get rich. It's so that people will always know that God is who he says he is and that we should follow after him. And I, I don't know. It's To me, it's stunning. But are we a little what? Okay. All right, fine. We'll finish up tomorrow. Questions? 